You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hey, good morning or good afternoon, wherever the case may be, depending on where you are in this lovely U.S. of ours. Um, you're live here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's live call-in show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. The keywords live and call-in. We want to hear from you, so make it very easy. Number one, you can just pick up the phone, dial it toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, that's 877-385-8882. You can also... And uh, kind of fun, join us here live on Pet Life Radio. You click on, uh, you go into PetLifeRadio.com. You click on the Shows tab. You scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And you can join us live. And we even have a Google Hangouts link for you. So you can click on the link and really join us live. I mean, so have your pet with you. We can uh, take a look. You can ask me questions, whatever the case may be. A lot of shy listeners out there. We know you're out there. You're not picking up the phone. We want to hear from you. And uh, we're here for you, and I'm here because of uh, help of our sponsors. We have our newest sponsor, Merck's Bravecto, one of my new favorite fleet products. One really tasty, chewable, and it's good for three months of fleas, three months of some ticks, and two months of some other ticks. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I've had really no problems. Also, More Than a Cone, which is a raising awareness for animal welfare and wellness through the arts. Now, really cool stuff. Kong Veterinary Products makes a lot of stuff for the veterinary profession. You probably even have some things from your veterinarian home right now that you didn't know came from Kong. Uh, of course, you've heard of the Kong toy. They have a division that is specifically for veterinary medicine called KVP Kong Veterinary Products, and they're great. Also, Save This Life Microchip. One of the quick stories I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes is all about microchip and a, a dog being reunited with its owners because of the microchip. So if your pet does not have a microchip, you want to go out and get one. And lastly, ProSense Pet Products. These are products veterinary formulated with your pets in mind, but available to you in the mass market. Some of your mass retailers like Walmart and Target, for example, great products uh, for you, uh, for your pet actually, but for you because they're very, very cost effective. So we're going to do some news in a minute. I just wanted to, I was thinking about what can we talk about today? I like to have a topic in mind for all you shy people out there that are afraid to call. And here we are. Autumn has started. We should be seeing some changes in weather. It should be cooling down. And here I am sitting in Southern California. Sorry to ruin some of your days uh, when you hear this, but it's in the 90s. It's magnificent. The sun is shining. And I said, how can I start talking about cold weather and giving you hints about cold weather when for me, it's 90 degrees out here. I'm wearing shorts. I mean, it's really nice. So I hope you're enjoying the change of color of the leaves, which everybody says, oh, my God, but we like the seasons. And it's, it's so nice. Well, you know what? It's also nice to be swimming in, in October So um, and going to the beach. Anyway, some things in the news that uh, I just uh, went to. I like one of my favorite sites is the American Veterinary Medical Association, and it's called Smart Brief. And it's sponsored by the AVMA. And um, it is uh, just a lot of really cool stuff going out there. Anyway, a study that we may have spoken about, but now it's even more, it's coming beyond just empirical data. It's really starting to become scientific. And a study that childhood farm life, and I'm not telling you, you should all go out to the Midwest and live on a farm, but reduces the risk of allergies, asthma, hay fever, sinus problems over kids that did not grow up in a farm. And the study that I read before this was just growing up with a pet. 
that if you have a dog or cat in your house, when you are having children, the chances of those children becoming allergic, developing asthma, allergies, is reduced. So if that is not one of the many good reasons to get a pet, I don't know what is. Plus, you know, my kids grew up in a household of pets. My grandchildren come over and they're playing with my many pets. We have 11. And it's just great. When I walk along and I see these kids that are just so fearful of a dog, it's like, oh my God. And then you find out that mom and dad are fearful of the dogs. Well, no wonder. So they're just mimicking. You have to, you know, think about getting a pet, a very sort of safe, cute pet will just do the trick. You know, you don't want anything that's very non-threatening. You just want to get a little non-threatening, cute little monster. And um, I think your kids would be better for it. Plus, the chances of getting allergies are less. So there's a good one. At University of Pennsylvania Veterinary School, they have a, talking about a three-year-old German Shepherd, one of a few dogs that are being trained to detect ovarian cancer in women. Then what they want to do is they want to come up with a device, a medical device, that will be able to respond to the same molecular sense, whatever it is, and I have to put that it in quotes, that the the dogs are are responding to. Whatever they are smelling, they're trying to get something non-canine, so it could be mass-produced, to be able to detect this smell as well, which when you think about it, would be really cool to detect early detection of ovarian cancer. One of my clients, she has since passed, Marianne Mobley, Marianne Collins, former Miss America back in the late 50s. She is convinced, convinced that her dog sensed her cancer way before the doctors did. And she knew it, and she knew something was wrong, and she kept pushing and pushing the doctors to to explore. And sure enough, they did find her cancer. So it's one of those things where it's not far-fetched. I often say that when it comes to the senses that pets have, and we talk about our, you know, we have our five, and we talk about our sixth sense. I think dogs, they have those five too, but man, I think they have 10 total. I mean, it, it's amazing what they what they do. And I hear these stories and it doesn't confuse me anymore at all. For those of you who live in the Colorado area and have horses, just know there have been 12 now cases of equine West Nile virus. West Nile is also transmitted by mosquitoes, as many other diseases are, including the Zika virus, which we're going to talk about in a minute, and of course, heartworm disease. So um, if you have horses living in out in that area, Make sure you do your best to vaccinate your horses and to do what you can to prevent mosquito population. Keep these uh, mosquitoes away. Uh, Whatever you can do uh, as far as prevention would help. Another study came out just warning everybody as we approach the holidays. We will talk more about this, but I just wanted to throw it at you now as you're preparing. And that is human foods that are very dangerous for pets. Raisins, grapes, currants, chocolate, of course. I think animal be a little more specific with the chocolate and also xylitol. So anything that you may be feeding your yourselves or your kids that is sugarless, make sure to check to see what the artificial sweetener is. If it's xylitol, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, then you do want to stop, remove that from your pets. Do not let them get a hold of those mints, the sugarless gum, you know, dogs will eat anything. And of course, now we, we see a lot of sugarless peanut butter out there that is being sweetened with xylitol. And of course, we, as we know, a lot of you give your pets medications wrapped in peanut butter. So be very, very careful. It can cause severe, severe kidney damage. Here's one about the microchip. And uh, we'll talk more about this, of course, when we finally have my friend and colleague, Chance White on from Save This Life Microchip, one of our sponsors. But a dog was living in Jacksonville, Florida, went missing. And 
They found him one month later, from August 11th to September 11th, all right, one month later in Massachusetts, 1,100 miles away. Now, how'd he get there? Who knows? Most likely the theory is, and I had a dog once that was found pretty far away, not 1,100 miles, but about 10 or 15 miles. In the same afternoon, we found him, however, and I think he was stolen. I think he was picked up, or maybe he wasn't stolen. Maybe it was somebody was driving, saw this dog, thought he was a stray. Anyway, he ends up at a shelter in Massachusetts. They scan him, and because of his microchip, they identify the owners, they contact the owners, and then there was great rescue efforts to get the dog back from Massachusetts back to Jacksonville, Florida. I think that's great. Now, I, I did mention recently, uh, earlier just about the Zika and mosquitoes. There was a study, um, do dogs get Zika virus? And to our knowledge right now, the answer is no. There have been a, oh, several thousand cases now in the U.S. of people. But we don't know whether or not the dogs can act as a reservoir host. In other words, the mosquito carrying the Zika virus might bite a dog. Zika virus itself is, doesn't affect dogs, so they're living totally fine with the Zika virus in them. The next mosquito jumps on to bite the dog to maybe deposit a heartworm larva and in the process picks up the circulating Zika virus larva and then goes to a person and bites the person. So they are trying to evaluate that right now, but we do know that it is mosquito-driven, mosquito-borne uh, disease transmitted, and it does affect people. And we're now seeing more and more cases here. And anyone who says that insects don't have their way, you know, we talk about flea control and how a number of the very, very effective products, well, had been very effective, are the laboratories are seeing now they're not so effective. And interestingly, the one or two for sure that are having issues are, and it's not the product, it's the active ingredient, which is uh, the first one is called fipronil. And well, what happens is, you got to think, fipronil has been out there now for a long time, for oh, 10 or 15 years. So what's happening is that the fleas that are being, uh, you know, fall onto this dog that has been treated with the fipronil that survive, obviously, they have some mechanism within that flea that are resistant to this particular drug called fipronil. So at the end of the day, when the fipronil has worked on most of the fleas, even if it's 95% of them, 98% I'll give you. So that's pretty good. You, you have that kind of protection. That's pretty darn good. But think about the 2%, even the 1% that survives. Why do they survive? They survive because they have some inert mechanism within them that could be a mutation that they are not sensitive to this active ingredient. So who is out there left to breed? And I'm talking, and we talked about this, a female flea can lay somewhere between 25 and 40 eggs a day in season, during season. So in the right conditions. So now, wait a second. Now you take even 1% of fleas, and let's say half of those are female, and they're laying 25 to 40 eggs a day, okay? And now multiply that by 15 years. You can bet your bottom dollar that now many of the fleas out there, most of the fleas out there, all from the sole few survivors, are resistant to the fipronil, which is why we're seeing a lot of treatment breakdowns with some of the products out there that contain fipronil. So it's very important to speak with your veterinarian and understand that cyclically, there are going to be changes in effective medications out there. Drugs that used to work great don't work anymore as well. Another perfect example we're going to talk about right out of our break, and it's a very common problem treating Giardia, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Don't go away. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. 
Are you confused by the overwhelming number of supplements for your dog? Developed by a veterinarian, Dr. Baker's all-natural canine system saver is designed to address many of the common problems your dog faces today, including inflammatory diseases, arthritis, hip dysplasia, geriatric problems, and more. Restore and maintain your dog's health with Dr. Baker's all-natural canine system saver. Order two bottles today and receive 20% off plus free shipping. Visit Canine System saver.com it's designerpetsweaters.com hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat beautiful couture patterns for your pets including custom knitted formal wear casual wear yachting and even sports themed many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats top hats and a lot of sparkle each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin, skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back here live with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio. And um, I, just before the break, we were talking about the amazing ability of insects to develop resistance to almost anything we throw at them. And parasites as well, case in point. One of my favorite drugs that I still use often, I use it for colitis, for dogs that end up with having this mucousy, bloody stool but are acting fine. We will give them something called metronidazole or flagell. And one of the uses, and it still is, and it has been for years, is to treat giardia. And giardia is often one of the causes of these symptoms. But what's interesting is it used to be when we had a problem with giardia, we would put these pets on flagell, on metronidazole. Now we're finding that it's only effective about 80 to 85% of the time. And there are other really good medications out there. I'm sure you've heard of drugs called a panicure, which is fenbendazole. There are lots of things out there that are effective. But it's interesting to note that one of the medications that we used as very frequently for a specific problem of treating the giardia is still effective, but not as effective as it used to be. Why? For the very same reason. A lot of the organisms out there have developed resistance. So it's sort of the nature of the beast, which is why you have all these new medications coming out that might be more effective. Not that the old medications were ever bad, it's just that they're not going to be as effective because not it's not their fault. It's the fact that the parasites have changed, whether it's the mosquito, whether it's the flea, what, whether it's the intestinal parasite. So we have to kind of keep those things in mind, which is why I often get a kick out of this. I will pull my notes and I am, I'm not a hoarder by any means, but I am a pack rat. I love 
saving old things. And I have basically all my textbooks from veterinary school. I have my exams from veterinary school, my notes. And we're talking 35, 36 years ago. I mean, this is going back to 1980. And here we are about to hit in 2017. So it's a long time. And I get such a kick out of reading these things and just taking a look and saying, oh, my God, we, I haven't seen that drug in 20 years. And um, what's interesting is a comment from a, one of my mentors, because I was quite the hotshot in vet school. And she said to me once, she said, Jeff, you know what you're doing. You're good. But just remember one thing. You need to learn every day. Why? Because every five years, half of what we knew to be gospel is now obsolete. So you have to, if you play that out after 30 years, there are very few things that we are doing today that was even remotely thought about then and vice versa. Things that we were doing then, people would laugh at, including myself. So things do change. It's very important to not get into that status quo, to not say, well, I did it last year and the year before and the year before and the year before and the year before, so I'm going to do it again. No, you need to check with the veterinarian, include them in your decisions about what to give, what to buy, what to do, because things change very quickly in medicine. Anyway, one thing that I also liked, and and many of you I know are going to like this, that in Palm Beach County, Florida, there is a rule, a law was passed in all the cities in that county that they are now banning the sale of puppies and kittens, newly bred puppies and kittens in any new pet stores. Now, pet stores that uh, have been in existence still can, but the breeders have to pass all the USDA standards, and they are apparently supposedly checked. But it's a step. I mean, here in Los Angeles, it doesn't make a difference, new or old, no pet shops can sell puppies and kittens unless they get the puppies and kittens from the shelter, and then they can. But there are no breeder puppy mill pets being shipped into LA County. Uh, in fact, most of the surrounding counties here in Southern California. But you know what? It's a start for Palm Beach, and I really do applaud them and um, I think it's going to you know, help the situation with uh, unwanted pets and, and pet overpopulation. I think that we need to continue to think about adopting a pet that's already there instead of breeding a new puppy or kitten just for somebody to have at the expense of these many, many, many hundreds, millions even of pets across the country being destroyed, being put to sleep every year. So one thing I like to often do is I uh, do like to talk about a topic of sorts And given the fact that we are running out of time, we are going to wait. I'll put it off. I'm trying to, as I said, get a guest on next week to talk about some details about microchipping and some changes in the industry. I still get it's so upsetting to me. And I'm not going to mention the company now, but maybe I will uh, next week or when we do talk about this. But I'm sure you know that when it comes to microchips, the um, frequencies of the microchips have changed. We are on a new standard called the ISO. International Standards Organization. And whereas we in the United States, believe it or not, the most technologically advanced nation in the world when it comes to our pets, and we were the last, let me say that again, the last country to finally move to the ISO standard. Very embarrassing. Why do you think? I'll tell you why. The dollars, the big companies that were pushing back, they didn't, they had all these microchips out there that were no longer going to be good with the new scanners and the, at the, because they are the old frequency, and they put so much pressure on not making the change. Our good friends up north in Canada made the change three or four years before we did. 
But we finally did. I think, you know, the big companies realized that they better, you know, put up or shut up. They, they used up as much of their inventory as they could. But there isn't one company out there, and I see this all the time, and I get so frustrated because what's the point of a microchip? The point of a microchip is to identify pets that have been lost, right? Well, so what's happening is if you have a microchip that can no longer be read by a scanner, and if the scanners are not universal and still and can't read the older frequency, then it's basically like you don't have a microchip. And I get these animals coming in from some of these breeders and rescue groups. Recent, I'm talking dogs that were born in the last six months. And they have still, this one particular microchip company is still using their old chips, old frequency, is not meeting the standards, the world standards. And I think that's terrible. And I'm going to, before I mention their name, I'm going to talk to them. Uh, that'll be my homework this week and find out what their plan is and why. And then if I don't like what they say, because for years, this particular company has had, as other companies were trying to come up with universal scanners, a scanner that can read everybody else's chip. This company did not want to play in that game. They had some sort of embedded blocker that it had to be their scanner can only read their chip. And if that particular pet ended up in a shelter that didn't have that particular company scanner, again, it was as if the dog didn't have a chip. So that finally changed, and they were able to remove that. So, yes, other scanners could be their chips, but now if they don't change the ISO standard, we're going to have more problems, and that worries me a lot. So we will talk about this. What we're going to talk about maybe next week or the week after, you know, one of the things we see when I've gone through this oh, about over a year ago, going through different problems, like last week we talked about skin allergies, the wide range of possibilities when it comes to skin allergies. And I have um, one of the other things that we frequently see in practice is the limping dog. And there are so many misconceptions about limping dogs. I see so many, it frustrates the heck out of me when I see records from elsewhere animal hospital. And that's what we call animal hospitals. We don't want to embarrass them by calling out their name. So we just call them elsewhere animal hospital that are totally missing the boat in their diagnostic workups when a dog is limping. And I am frustrated when I see it. I think it has a lot to do with our vet schools that are, or our students coming out of these veterinary schools that are so worried about missing things, they forgot to put on their hat of getting a good history, reasoning it out, kind of like Dr. House MD. I say that all the time, reasoning it out, finding out what is the likely possibility what is the most likely? What is the least likely? And let's not test for the least likely until you've ruled out all the most likelies. And unfortunately, it's not being done. But I have been employing a new treatment for some of these chronically limping arthritic dogs that, you know, there's really no surgery for arthritis. I mean, people have had attempts where they go in and they clean out the joint from the joint mice and all the excessive bone and cartilage. And guess what? Ah, within six months, a year, it's back. So, and not everybody is a, a good candidate for a, a total joint replacement. And a lot of these joints aren't replaceable, certainly not yet in dogs. So what do we do? How do we treat? And there are a lot of great modalities out there, very natural. And I've been using one in practice of late that I really, really like. And we're going to talk about it. It's called PRP, platelet-rich plasma, kind of along the lines of a stem cell type of treatment. And we've had amazing results. I want to talk about it. I want you to ask your veterinarians about it. Find out who in your area is doing it and um, to start opening your eyes. And don't think, you know, it's not a big deal. I don't look in my practice, though I would love to do endoscopy. I don't. 
I think I, mean, I certainly have the, the skill and capability. I just don't have the caseload. And it's a very expensive piece of equipment. And in order to stay good, you have to do it. You got to do, you know, five, six uh, studies a month, 60, 70 a year. And I wouldn't. So therefore, I don't do it. Doesn't mean that your vet is incapable. Doesn't mean that they're not good because they don't provide a particular type of service. But you're better off asking them about it, talking to them about where they can get it. And if they send you to the place that does it, you're going to feel a whole lot better knowing that it was discussed with you, your vet sent you, as opposed to you talking to a friend at the coffee table, and they tell you about this great treatment that they took their dog for, for the same problem. And then you say to yourself, wait, wait, wait a second. Why? I talked about this with my veterinarian. He didn't, she didn't tell me anything about this. Why? Because she or he didn't do it. The wrong answer. That's not the right answer. Be very, very cautious of veterinarians like that. Share it. It's okay. You're going to be much more ready and readily desired to go back to your own veterinarian after he or she educated you about something, sent you someplace for it, and you're going to come back because you're going to appreciate it. Whereas, unfortunately, many veterinarians aren't so eager to dish out the information for something they don't do. Why? Because they're afraid that, that they're going to lose money because they don't do that treatment. That's a bad reason. So anyway, keep that in mind. PRP, look it up. Platelet-rich plasma, it's being done in, in uh, the U.S. Uh, for people. Uh, we are now doing it in many veterinary practices, a lot of specialty practices, and I've had tremendous success with it. So we'll talk about that anyway. Have a great week, everybody, for uh, all of our uh, Jewish friends out there listening. Happy New Year to you. Um, and we will um, retouch base next Sunday. Same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radio. Estimates, Dr. Jeff, once again, thanks to our sponsors, ProSense, Bravecto, Save This Left Microchip, and KVP Kong Veterinary Products, More Than a Kong. See you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.